0: I invite you to turn with me in your Bibles to Exodus chapter 18. We're now soundly into the middle of Exodus, having moved forward from the dramatic displays of God's glory in the plagues and also in the parting of the Red Sea on into the meat of things as we see God's people being called to the basic steps of following Him day by day, off into the wilderness. We've seen over recent weeks that they're called to follow in such a way that their lives would be filled with praise for what God has done in delivering them, that praise is something that marks the followers of God. We also saw last week, as Lanier shared with us, that it's a nature of God's people as they're seeking to follow God to often find themselves in a place of complaining and discontentment. Instead of remembering the goodness and promises of God, so we've seen some of the challenges we face in following God. Uh, Today, as we turn to these verses, of course, in all of these things, we're seeing God's loving kindness poured out on his people as they seek to follow him. But today, as we turn to these particular verses, we see something that uh, doesn't seem to really fit in place with all of these sort of lofty themes, in a sense. It comes down to what we might call brass tacks of how God's people are going to function as a body of believers. How they're going to work together for God's glory. How they're going to be structured. It's almost like a corporate restructuring described in these verses. But all of it for God's glory. And as we'll see, this important message about the ministry, the shared ministry that God's people should have, is going to come from a very unlikely source into the life of Moses and his people. And as they hear it, so too we're meant to hear it today as we think about places where we lead, places where we follow, places where we serve. How is it that God would have us to apply our lives, apply our gifts in the most strategic way for his glory? So I invite you to read along with me as I read aloud. Uh, Exodus chapter 18, we'll start in verse 5 and read through verse uh, 23. Jethro, Moses' father-in-law, came with his sons and his wife to Moses in the wilderness, where he was encamped at the mountain of God. And when he sent word to Moses, I, your father-in-law Jethro, am coming to you with your wife and her two sons with her, Moses went out to meet his father-in-law, bowed down, and kissed him. And they asked each other of their welfare and went into the tent. Then Moses told his father-in-law all that the Lord had done to Pharaoh and to the Egyptians for Israel's sake. All the hardship that had come upon them in the way. And how the Lord had delivered them. Jethro rejoiced. For all the good that the Lord had done to Israel, in that he had delivered them out of the hands of the Egyptians. Jethro said, Blessed be the Lord, who's delivered you out of the hand of the Egyptians and out of the hand of Pharaoh, and has delivered the people from under the hand of the Egyptians. Now I know that the Lord is greater than all gods, because in this affair they dealt arrogantly, they the Egyptians, with the people. And Jethro, Moses' father-in-law, brought a burnt offering and sacrifices to God, and Aaron came with all the elders of Israel to eat bread with Moses' father-in-law before God. The next day, Moses sat to judge the people, and the people stood around Moses from morning till evening. When Moses' father-in-law saw all that he was doing for the people, he said, "'What is this you are doing for the people? "'Why do you sit alone and all the people stand around you morning till evening?' Now obey my voice. I'll give you advice, and God be with you. You shall represent the people before God and bring their cases to God, and you shall warn them about the statutes and the laws and make them know the way in which they must walk and what they must do. Moreover, look for able men from among the people, men who fear God, who are trustworthy and hate a bribe. And place such men over the people as chiefs of thousands, of hundreds, of fifties, and of tens. And let them judge, and the people people at all times. Every great matter they shall bring to you, but any small matter they shall decide themselves. So it will be easier for you, and they will bear the burden with you. If you do this, God will direct you. You'll be able to endure, and all the people will also go to their place. In peace. Let's pray again. Oh, Father, we thank you that though the grass withers and the flower fades, it's not so of your word. It stands forever. And so we ask today that you would come and meet us in and through your eternal word that we might grow as your people, as a body. Oh Lord, to more fully extend and live out the life of your kingdom. We pray this all in Jesus' name. Amen. When my wife, Patience, and I got married, we got our dream car. Now, it's not quite what you think, it was the maroon 89 Chevy Cavalier. That my father had purchased used for me in high school for me to drive the last couple years. Then when I went to college, he had taken back. And then as Patience and I were getting married, he returned the keys to me and said, Son, be saving up for a car. This thing's got 112,000 miles on it already. It's probably not going to last much longer. I call it the dream car because as a young couple, got married young and in seminary and patients working as a social worker and nannying for some folks, we needed a car to last and about 200,000 miles we gave the car at that point to my father-in-law and he still drives it from time to time today with almost 400,000 miles on the dream car. The thing that's even more amazing about the dream car is that during the five or six years that we were in possession of it, guess who handled all the maintenance on it? Yours truly. That vehicle, I had gotten some experience, kind of knew that I felt like I could work with it and had repaired a few things on it. And so one particular year, I remember, the clutch was going bad. And a clutch, if you know anything about it, is not a small repair. But I had kind of gotten this experience. I thought I could probably handle fixing this. I called my father-in-law. We were going to be down in Alabama. This was all as we were living in St. Louis. We were going to be down in Alabama. I had the spring break week. I figured I could take some time to work on it and figured I could handle it. I called my father-in-law, a man who could easily, blindfolded, with a screwdriver and a pair of pliers, take apart and perfectly reassemble an Italian sports car. That's the gifts and ability this guy has. And I asked him and said, what do you think, Jerry, about me repairing the clutch on this vehicle? I should have taken the hint when he paused a very long pause and said, well, Chris, that's not an easy repair, but Maybe you can handle it. Well, I took that as a vote of confidence. (laughs) So when we arrived in Alabama, I began to work my way through the little Haynes manual that gives you descriptions of how to repair various things in your car. And I had looked at the 15 steps on the page entitled Clutch Repair. I started out one morning, the first morning, working on it, and got through steps one, two, and three in about four hours kind of worn out, but making a decent pace, broke for lunch, came back after lunch, looked at the manual to step four, and to my surprise, step four directed me to another section of the manual that had at least 20 steps on that page. By the end of the first day, I had gotten through the 12 steps out of those 20 on another page and took a break, pretty well exhausted, lay down, got some sleep, thought i will wake up fresh the next morning and make another go at it. The next morning I finished the last of those 20 extra steps from the other page, bringing me back then around lunchtime to step five on the original page. I wasn't even sure of those 20 previous steps that I had done, many of them correctly at all, but I came back and saw the list again and then at that point realized that each step, after step 5, all the way to 15, directed me to another page in the manual with at least 20 steps on it, and a lot of those within the 20 steps directed you to another page in the manual with more steps. Well, you can see where this is headed, of course. I called my father-in-law and asked him to come by and take a look at the situation for me. I said to him simply as he walked up and saw my progress on the engine, what do you think, Jerry, that I should do? And in his most polite form, trying not to embarrass me, he smiled and he said, Chris, I think you need to take it to a mechanic. That's what you need to do. Well, it's hard to get advice sometimes from people. Father-in-laws in particular are not easy to get advice from. Moses, we see in these verses, getting advice from his father-in-law. And it's not just any advice, but it's advice to enable things to function more smoothly, to enable God's people to live out who they're supposed to be in a more effective and efficient way. As we look at these verses today then, and you can see in your bulletin, there's a section for you to follow along in your notes. There's actually a a spiritual message to, to this. I'm going to talk, for, talk in a minute about that, but let me go ahead and give you the big picture. The main idea of these verses, I think, is that God blesses a shared ministry among His people. I thought I could handle fixing the car by myself. I desperately needed help. In the body of believers, even today, as you and I sit, there are things that we are gifted in as we come here and that we can do and bring to the church body, and there's other things that we desperately need others around us to contribute. As we look at these verses, we see that laid out. So God blesses a shared ministry, and so we should have a a church body where service is delegated out across the board, where we're all finding a niche to plug in and use our gifts. On the surface, when you look at these verses, again, it seems sort of... uh, Out of place, too menial to have this type of information in a book that describes the plagues coming down and the Red Sea being parted and manna coming down from heaven. To all of a sudden come to a chapter that describes the restructuring and organization of God's people. Might raise a question for us is why is this in here? Why is this in the scriptures? That's a fantastic question. I think the answer to the question is this. It's really important to God. Not just who we are as God's people, but how we function together as a body of believers. He cares about it. It's important to Him. It's not just important to God for us to function as a body that way, but I think it's important for us individually. Some of us here are going to tend towards one or the other of these things. We might tend to be on the sidelines in the church, or we might tend to kind of be at the center of things in the church. And a danger of when you're in the center of things at the church, when you have various responsibilities, when you're in charge of things, is a little word called pride. It crops up, and you start to think, and it may not even be in the church. Maybe you're in the workplace, or in a family setting, or in a neighborhood, or some group where you're in charge, and you start to think that, You're the only one that can do this. You're the only one that can handle this. In fact, we've got a saying for it, don't we? If you want it done right, do it yourself. That's our saying. We know pride's not too good for us if we read anywhere in the Bible, so that's probably not a helpful thing. The other tendency we can have, and maybe for some of us in different areas we have both, I don't know, is that we can tend to sit on the sidelines as well. We can tend to say uh, either that I don't have any gifts or ability to bring or I just am too caught up in myself and my own life to really get involved and to really help build up the body of Christ. If we look at these verses, we're called uh, out of that to serve. They show us that there's a place for each one of us to be involved. Turn with me in your Bibles might be familiar verses for some of us. 1 Corinthians chapter 12 1 Corinthians, all the way back in the New Testament, all the way back in the New Testament, after the book of Acts, after Romans, but before Hebrews, it gives us this important message. 1 Corinthians chapter 12, starting in verse 4. says, Now there are a variety of gifts, but the same Spirit. And there are varieties of service, but the same Lord. There are varieties of activities, but it's the same God who empowers Them all in everyone. And then listen to verse 7 in particular. To each is given the manifestation of the Spirit for the common good. Each of us has something that we bring to bear in the life of the church. Then jump on down with me to verse 12. It says, For just as the body is one and has many members, all the members of the body, though many, are one body, so it is with Christ. For in one spirit we were all baptized into one body. Jews or Greeks, slave or free, we were all made to drink of one spirit. And then verse 14. For the body does not consist of one member but of many. If the foot should say, because I am not a hand, I do not belong to the body, I would not make it any less a part of the body. If the ear should say, because I am not an eye, I do not belong to the body, I would not make it any less a part of the body. If the whole body were an eye, where would be the sense of hearing the whole body were an ear, where would be the sense of smell? But as it is, God has arranged the members in the body, each one of them, as he chose. If all were a single member, where would the body be? As it is, there are many parts, yet one body. Paul goes on to describe all of that further, of course, in these verses. The principle is this, and it's related to these verses in Exodus, of course, and that is that God has... Paul if you're sitting here today and you're wondering some or sensing some of the purposelessness that we all feel at points in life, feel like I'm not sure what my purpose and function is, let me tell you one thing that's really important for you to hear and know today. At least one of the things that God has for you is a gift, an ability, something that he has given you, as that verse, tw- verse 7 says, that you come to bring and contribute to the body of believers. And guess what? Other people have gifts that you need and I need as well. Let's look back then at these verses in Exodus with all of that in mind, with that sort of New Testament picture of the believers in mind. And we see some interesting things. The first thing, quickly, is that this whole reality that Jethro comes and gives advice to Moses. is interesting from a couple of standpoints. As I shared in my opening illustration, of course, it's, it's interesting always to get advice from, a, from the in-laws, from the father-in-law. So that's an interesting thing. Now, it appears, though, that Moses and Jethro had a pretty close relationship. because it tells us in verse 7 back there in Exodus 18, that they greeted one another. Then they sat down and conversed, it sounds like, for quite some time, about all that God had been doing in Moses' life. So they had a relationship. They had a connection. So it's interesting that they this advice would come from a father-in-law, although there is that connection. It's also interesting, we know that the father-in-law is a Midianite. He's not from among the people of God. And you really can't, even in these verses, entirely discern where he is spiritually how much he understands about who God is but it's apparent if you look with me in verses uh, 10 through 12 it says he, he says these things blessed be the Lord who's delivered out of the hand of the Egyptians he recognizes the blessing of what God has done for his people so Moses is getting advice from this man we're not exactly sure all of where he is spiritually but we know this one other verse to look at verse 19 Jethro says, now obey my voice, I'll give you advice, and God be with you. Moses is told he's going to be blessed, God's people are going to be blessed, if he receives this advice. And one of the things that's challenging for us when we're in charge of something, maybe we're the head of our family, maybe we're in charge of something at the church or something in the workplace, is it's very hard for us to receive advice, to receive counsel. And Moses is not a perfect man. He does not do things perfectly. He's not our perfect model for everything we should do. But one thing we should note in these verses, he does listen to advice. He receives that, and God's people are blessed for it. So we see this advice coming. What are the implications of this advice? What's going to happen if Moses receives this advice? Well, four things we'll cover here today. One is that if this sort of Shared ministry begins to happen in the body of believers. If people are stepping up and saying, I am ready to serve, I'd like to be challenged, I'd like to grow through serving in the church, and if other people are looking around and saying, how can I hand off ministry, how can I help other people come along and use their gifts, then what is going to happen is these things. Number one, it will prevent exhaustion. Look with me at verse 18 here again in Exodus 18. Uh, Jethro's talking to Moses. He says, you and the people with you are certainly going to wear yourselves out. Or this thing is too heavy for you. He tells them you're going to run out of steam if you try to do things all by yourself. And Some of us today are in that place right now. We're trying to deal with a situation in our life. might be just a, a complicated issue we need wisdom on. You're trying to deal maybe with a sin issue by yourself. And, and there's a need for someone to come alongside and help you. Or maybe like Moses, you're over some people. You're in charge of some things and not realizing the need for others to come around. You want to steer clear of exhaustion? Ask and pray and look for God to raise up others to help alongside you. That's one of the principles here. The second thing we see is that organization allows the development of other people. This kind of shared ministry allows that. Look down in verse 21 with me. Jethro says, Moreover... Look for able men from among the people. He's not just sort of randomly putting people over different ministries and activities. He's looking for a certain type of people. That's important. But notice this he says, such men over people as chiefs of thousands, of hundreds, of fifties, and of tens. What's that tell us? It tells us that there's a place for people to serve and to kind of get a foothold, to kind of get started serving. These guys who were in charge of tens, we would assume, are people that are just beginning to figure out how to use some of their gifts in ministry in this case. They're just beginning to get a foothold. And you would think those who are over thousands have proven themselves to be able to be used in this kind of ministry. So that's what happens. Different people are able to be engaged in ministry if we share the ministry in this way. So it allows development of us. And the question for us today is just, where are we in this? There's probably a decent number of us that maybe feel like we're up to here in the church plant world of a new church plant of responsibilities and duties and so forth. So maybe we need to look around and realize, you know, there might be people around me that really need the blessing, the blessing of developing, of growing, of serving. Uh, Others of us maybe are a little bit, we are on the sidelines, kind of sitting off to the edge We've got some gifts and abilities, but we're not sure. I don't know if I want to step. That's going to demand something of I me, and I'm just not sure I want to step out in that way. I encourage you. Start out with that. You know, you've got the people that are over 10. Start out in some simple area and begin to serve in that way. God will bless it and bless his body through it. Third thing we see here is that this kind of shared ministry humbles us in a good way. It humbles us in a good way. Again, it would seem that uh, you know, we we've all probably gotten advice from people that aren't close to us and we know don't really care about us, and it's always fun when people come up and give you that kind of insight and you don't really ask for it or want it. In this case, I guess Jethro's giving unasked for advice, but because of his relationship with Moses, he's able to say things. So you wanna there's a principle there too. Let's be careful not to just toss out advice when it's not ask for or we don't have a relationship. but look at what Jethro says uh, in, uh, where am I in verse 18. He says, "You are not able to do it alone." The last part of that verse. He says to Moses simply, "You can't do this alone." Some of us are here and the things that we're in charge of in the church or in different areas, we think we're the only one that can do that perfectly. Maybe we're even, I'll even go a step further. A lot of us, the reason we kind of hang on to responsibilities and aren't willing to share those things is because we're trying to use that thing to deal with some guilt, to deal with some shame. We're trying to dig our way out of that hole. Instead of serving out of just God's love and God's working in our lives, we're trying to dig our way out of that hole by serving. And so we don't want to give that up because that serving equals my righteousness. Got to have my righteousness in it. This verse reminds us that we are humbled by the fact, in the church body, that we need each other, that we need one another connected in that way. Fourth and last thing we see, and of course I would say it's sort of the ultimate purpose of all of this, if you look at verse 23, it's just a simple thing. What does Jethro say? He says, if you do this, God will direct you. God's going to be with you. God's going to direct you. You'll be able to endure, not going to wear out, and all this people will go to their place in peace. What's he talking about there? What's their place that they're going to go to? They're trying to make their way to the promised land. They're trying to go somewhere. They've got a journey, a mission. We say as a church, we've got a journey, a mission. We say we're trying to grow in truth. We've just summed it up this way. We're trying to grow in truth. We're trying to live in community. We're trying to serve in God's kingdom. We're going somewhere. We're going on a journey as well. And to get there, we're going to need this kind of shared ministry. And when we have that, when people begin to fill in different ministry spots and service spots, then we'll move forward. We'll be more effective for the things of the kingdom. That's what's happening in these verses for Moses and for God's people. A number of you uh, know that I'm teaching, or teaching, gracious, I wish I was teaching, coaching, coaching, Coaching T-Ball right now. And uh, T-Ball is interesting, to say the least. Yesterday, we had the perfect timing scenario, but it was kind of entertaining as I thought about it. Went up the T-Ball, and we had the 9 o'clock slot to get things started off Saturday morning, bright and early. We have 11 players on our T-Ball team. And no offense to any T-Ball players that are listening to this recording later, but we probably only need about 7 of those players. <laughs> We've got a surplus we got extra players. The sort of chaos that goes on the t-ball field, if you haven't been out on a t-ball field for a while, is, you know, we've got kids playing in the dirt by third base just rolling around. We've got kids standing on their heads out in the outfield. Uh, we, we've got kids tackling one another. And, and that's just my children. But... we. we We've got people all over the place. We have people throwing bats. Someone's going to be decapitated. There's no telling what's going to happen out there on the t-ball field. It's an epitome of disorganization, even with five or six parents standing right there on the field. That's t-ball for you. We walked over after the t-ball game. There's three years' difference between the t-ballers and the eight-year-old for our oldest son. And I'm not going to say that eight-year-olds are a marvel of baseball organization and skill, but the contrast is dramatic. In the game yesterday, which unfortunately the Braves tasted their first defeat of the season, these kids are throwing the ball to the second baseman, turning double plays over to the first baseman. They're running and realizing where their other players are and giving them space and realize the guy's got to get around the bases and they know what's happening. They understand what it means to work together to play this game, to win this game. It's just a rudimentary illustration, I'm sure. It's the same thing with the body of believers. God cares that we operate in some way superior to T-ball organization. He cares that we minister together, that we serve together, that we live out life together. And he calls us to that for our good, for our blessing as a church body. So we see it here in these verses that it's really pragmatic. It's even interesting for me to preach it because it's, it's real pragmatic stuff, but it's good, it's important for us. And there's direct application for each one of us to think about how is God calling us to be a part of this kind of shared ministry through Cross Creek Church. Let's pray together. Oh, Father, we do give you praise and thanks for your word today. And we need to hear it. We need to hear it in places we may not even think we need to hear it. And so, Father, we thank you for it. Thank you even for the ways that it surprises us sometimes with moving from things like plagues and Red Sea partings and into very practical things of just how we would serve and minister and be together as your body of believers. Father, I pray that you would help us as a body, that you would raise up those who are on the sidelines, that they might engage and grow personally through ministry, that those who are getting exhausted and worn out, Lord, that you would break down any pride that ministry would be shared, others would be brought along involved in that process. Father, through that, we ask that you would strengthen our church, and we pray this all in Jesus' name. Amen.